Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to worship alongside you uh, on a remarkable uh, Sunday morning. Uh, I will note, and I'll try to remind you too at the end of the service, we will uh, have the privilege of doing our, our fellowship hour after the service out on the terrace because it is just a perfect day to be outside. Uh, for the moment, though, I would invite you to stand wherever you are and, and greet a few folks uh, right around you. invite you to begin finding your seats again, and together we'll begin preparing our hearts to worship the living God.
Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Let us stand for the call to worship. We lift our eyes to the Lord. God created the heavens and the earth. We raise our voices in song and speech. We raise our voices in prayer and praise. Lord, hear our prayers. Accept our praise. Lord, open our hearts to receive your blessings of peace. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 96th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant. Today's date is September 22, 2019, and today's broadcast is number 4,960. The Reverend Dr. Robert Holm Lippert is our pastor. This morning's sermon entitled The Center, will be delivered by Reverend Dr. Holm Lippert. Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, our Director of Music and Organist, the Chancel Choir, and Elder Brian Baird with a moment for ministry. Our church is handicapped accessible with an elevator, wheelchairs, hearing assistance, and large print bulletins and hymnals. Child care is provided for infants, toddlers, and kindergartners. Worship kits are available for older children at the entrance to the sanctuary. Our opening hymn is Come, Thou Almighty King, which is number 139 in the Presbyterian Hymnal.
offer ourselves in love and adoration to God. And as soon as we sing that line, we also recognize the ways we've fallen short of that. Our lives, our words, our actions, our thoughts have fallen short of the, of the fullness of that kind of expression. And so together as a church, we lean into the grace of confession, knowing our merciful God hears us. Let us pray together. Everlasting God, fountain of all life and the true home of every heart, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yet we confess that our hearts have been enslaved by selfish passion and base desire. We have sought after many things and have neglected the one thing needful. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. Help us to turn to you and find forgiveness. Lead us home that we may find again in you our life and joy and peace. Amen. Scripture declares that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed from us in Jesus Christ. And we do stand this day in him, forgiven, at peace, and made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated, and at this time, any of our children who are uh, in second grade or younger who would like to may come to the front door here. Reverend Nelson and Mrs. Jess Reevely will be taking them out to do a children's chapel, and parents, you can pick them up in room 102 after the service. Merciful God, your assurance to us is that by and in and through your word you speak. You speak the words of life. And so our prayer is simple. May we know your faithfulness. May we hear you speak through these your words. And may you open our ears that we might hear and attend and follow. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our Old Testament scripture comes from Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 
Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to sacrifice offered by fools. For they do not know how to keep from doing evil. Never be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be quick to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you upon earth. Therefore let your words be few. For dreams come with many cares, and a fool's voice with many words. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue on with the gospel, uh, in the gospel of Matthew, as we have uh, this month of September, and we'll continue on through the fall. And we're in the very middle the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we were in chapter 5 and looked at some of the exhortations of, of Jesus. And in many ways, chapter 5 teaches uh, the what of the Christian life, as one theologian puts it. And chapter 6 teaches the how, how we start to really live into it. And many will point out and, and argue that, that this is the center of the Sermon on the Mount, not just literally, it's in the middle, but, but the center. It holds the whole teaching together. And it's on prayer. Prayer sits at the center of this most fundamental basic teaching as Jesus is gathering his first disciples in the crowds, showing them what it is, teaching them what it is to follow him. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Daniel Simon is a psychology professor at the University of Illinois. He did an experiment a few years back called the monkey business illusion. And maybe you've heard of it. He had three people wear white t-shirts and three people wear black t-shirts. The people in the white t-shirts walked in a, in a small circle and continually passed a basketball back and forth to one another. And the people in the black t-shirts also walked in a continual circle in the same small space, passing a basketball to one another as they're sort of circling. So there's a lot of motion. A couple basketballs keep moving. Uh, this video has been watched millions of times online, so you may well know it. And he, when he first showed it, he would originally ask audience members, uh, audience viewers, to count how many times in this short 30, 40 second clip, uh, the, the white t-shirt people pass the basketball to one another. People concentrate intensely because there's some motion. One, two, three. The video clip would end. How many? 16. That's correct. 
the vast majority would, would get it right. They'd, they'd, they'd lean in and watch. It's not easy, but it's doable if you're paying attention. And then he asked, how many saw the gorilla? During the scene of basketball passing, he had asked a person to dress up in a large black gorilla suit and walk right in the center of all the basketball passing action. The gorilla costume person then stopped, took two seconds to beat his chest like this, made himself known, and walked out of the scene as the basketball passing continued. In Dr. Simon's study, right at 50% of all people ever noticed the gorilla. On one hand, that seems absolutely absurd. Could anyone honestly miss a large gorilla costume person coming right in the middle of an otherwise kind of simple game of passing a basketball? And yet that's the point. We notice what we're prepared to see. We think we are surely seeing and noticing everything around us, but the truth is we are largely seeing and noticing what we expect and are prepared to see. It makes you wonder about the basketball passes that we are counting every day, consciously or unconsciously, because we expect that they're important and that they should be noticed. We count ratings or grades or health metrics. We count followers or likes. We count attendees or budgets. We count bank accounts or or scores. And not all of this is bad, some of this is necessary, but the question Dr. Simon's experiment prompts for the church is, amid all the counting and juggling we inevitably are are doing all of the time, did anyone notice Jesus making himself known right in the midst? Did we notice him calling, holding, healing, leading? Or do sometimes we get so caught up in keeping track of any number of of good things that that we just stop looking for Jesus, or or maybe at some level we just stop really expecting Jesus to show up. One of the books I read during my sabbatical is entitled The Pastor in a Secular Age, Ministry to People Who No Longer Need a God. It's by Andrew Root. He teaches at Luther Seminary up in Minnesota. And he pulls significantly from leading sociologists and historians um, to argue that our contemporary society in North America is largely what, what he would call a, a disenchanted society. And he says, you know, whereas for, for most of human history, it was assumed that God and spiritual forces and angels and demons were actively working and thwarting and conspiring and helping. Whereas for most of human history, there was a sense that the world was enchanted with the spiritual vitality, spiritual forces. Now, and particularly in North America where he really focuses his work, a lot of that's kind of an old foolishness. We like to visit by way of Harry Potter or Comic Con or Game of Thrones or Black Panther or Lord of the Rings. And certainly some measure of our disenchantment's good insofar as we've ridded ourselves of really untenable beliefs or, or fearful, very unhelpful superstitions. But he says it also means, you know, we live in a society where we assume science explains a lot of things, probably will eventually explain most or all things. And so many simply do not look for or even expect to see a gorilla cutting across the scene of our lives because that just doesn't happen. A personal relational God who has bearing upon our lives does not move 
in our midst, in the ordinary. And so Root, he, he writes this long book exploring our, our, our disenchantment and how we got here and what that means for a pastor, the challenges, the opportunities. It's hundreds of pages. It's fascinating. But really he lands the plane at the very end with, uh, with basically this implication, this most central implication. There seems to be one clear way to avoid observation blindness. One clear way to encounter the event of God's speaking given the reality of our world and society. This is the way of prayer. It's really a simple call, but, but also a profound call to the church in our times, a return to learning about and practicing prayer. Whenever you pray, pray this way. What a gift to the church that Jesus would teach on this in a time when it is so easy and almost natural to miss God in our midst. Pray this way, our Father, Abba, is the word. It's a relational word, an intimate word, an affectionate word, a word that immediately teaches us of God's loving and relational nature, a God who counts us all as family. Our Father, who's in heaven, and really the literal translation is in the heavens. It's, it's in the plural. Because the ancient world understood heaven to have multiple realms. And the first realm of heaven was the atmosphere right around your head. Our Father in the heavens is to acknowledge a God who's both present in the furthest reaches of the heavens and as near as the air that we breathe. Some commentators translate the opening line of this prayer, our Father who is always near, in order to get at the essence of what is being prayed. And what I love about that translation is, is that amid all the things that we inevitably have been watching and counting and attending to to our lives, that line draws our hearts to begin looking for God again. Because as it states, our Father who is near. Hallowed be your name. I think we often hear that as a phrase uh, of words that's paying homage or respect to God. We hallow your name. We honor your name and in, 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 in the character of your name. But in the Greek, it's, it's in the imperative, meaning it's, it's a prayer. It's a line that's being prayed for God to do something. In particular, it's an urgent appeal for God to act. Hallowed be your name. It's a petition rooted in the first three commandments as well as in the likes of Ezekiel 39, 7 where God speaks and says, In my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel I will, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. We live in a society where all kinds of names and brands and people vie for our attention. And often we can't help but stay glued. We know our search engines are engineered to show us names and events and brands that the formula thinks we'll like. That will keep our attention. That will have us show up somewhere. That will have us buy something. Names are vying for our attention all the time. And this prayer acknowledges you who are love. You who are the source of all that is good and worthy, you who are our singular hope. You be the one name that, that is set apart. May your name be recognized, extolled, cherished, over and against all the other names that vie for our heart's attention. May it be your name and character we see most clearly. And not only hallowed be uh, your name, 
But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, this cry for God's loving and just governance to rule in every individual heart, every church, all of society, all of creation. I mean, goodness, so much can be said about that petition. But I want to pause here and simply note how the whole first half of this this very brief prayer Jesus teaches is in many ways about seeing God and God's work in our midst. Our Father who is always near, immediate reminder to begin looking. Hallowed be your name, a desire for God's name to be clearly seen and known. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, a desire to see God's way and will made known. And then the rest of the prayer, as you know, it hits on the basics of life, doesn't it? It's very practical. Feed us. Heal us, heal us in our relationships by way of forgiveness. Guard us from evil as we walk this journey. And of course, all of those petitions pray in a way that, that orients our hearts to, to, to start to, to expect and look for God to move in those feeding and forgiving and keeping areas. It's a remarkable prayer, especially in a time when we find ourselves counting so many things, or in a time where maybe some simply do not expect for God to be showing up in the everyday. Dallas Willard, uh, the late 20th century and early 21st century, um, pretty well-known ethicist and theologian, he observed in his book on the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, we enter the real world. We see the substance of the kingdom and our bodies and souls begin to function for the first time as they were created to function. And he adds that the Lord's Prayer is really the main and primary door by which we enter the real world. And so maybe this morning we're saying to ourselves, well, that's compelling. I mean, goodness, knowing where Jesus is at work on this issue, this aspect, this relationship, this decision before us, Knowing how Jesus is speaking amidst all the things that that have us juggling and counting. That'd be such a grace. But the truth is, I say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, and I say it actually a number of times in between Sundays, and I'm sure, not sure if I ever sense Jesus calling or holding or healing or leading or speaking all that often. Two final thoughts. Very practical thoughts on the Lord's Prayer in light of that. One comes from Martin Luther, the reformer of the 16th century, who exhorts uh, concerning the Lord's Prayer. You should know that I do not want you to recite all of these words in your prayer. Like, literally, the word-for-word prayer. That would make it nothing but idle chatter and pratter. Rather, do I want your heart to be stirred and guided concerning the thoughts which ought to be comprehended in the Lord's Prayer. These thoughts may be expressed if your heart is rightly warmed and inclined toward prayer in many different ways and with more words or fewer. What he's getting at is the Lord's Prayer is not some magic formula to be said perfectly with all the words just so in in unison. At best, it's a faithful framework where you could take one line at a time and let the heart linger over the meaning. Pray the implication. Let the Holy Spirit guide the words that are offered or the silence around each petition. Can you imagine taking a few moments one day this week 
A few minutes each morning or evening or noontime. Can you imagine letting yourself linger before God for just a few moments with each line of the simple prayer he has taught us? Or, or maybe you're the type that would want to journal a short prayer, prayed pray, paragraph after each line. Or, or maybe you're the kind that would want to paint or make music interpretively one line at a time as you communicate with our Father who is near. Of course, to do such a thing requires shutting the door, as Jesus puts it in our scripture this morning. And that leads me to my second practical thought about living into the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, you heard, he says, whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. To be sure, Jesus is not against all public and corporate prayer. He certainly prays in his own life with and in front of others at various times. He's talking about the avoiding the kind of prayer that's really about show and looking good and, and holy. And also, as theologian Dale Bruner points out, when Jesus tells people to go into the room and, and shut the door to pray, the room Jesus is referencing was a supply room where the animal feed and other supplies were kept in a poor Palestinian home. Hardly an inviting room, but the essential thing about this particular room is that it was the only room in the entire house where the door could close and lock. In a crowded house full of people and animal noises and all the rest, you could know this small space just to be with God. What Bruner's pointing out is that Jesus here, he's not only exhorting us to avoid prayer that's really just about show and language and He's also commending us to seek the kind of space in our lives that allows us to pray, facilitates a prayerfulness where our attention can really go fully upon God. And I wonder if part of the gift of the Lord's Prayer does not open unto us unless we risk locking the door from time to time or locking part of our schedule or part of our day. I mean, maybe it's why some of us arrive here on Sunday mornings, whether we're conscious of it or not, because It helps us lock the schedule down and hold our attention unto something or someone we might too readily ignore. Yesterday, the elders and deacons had their officer retreat here at the church. As I was planning for it, it struck me that their being present for their retreat meant they were locking off their schedule. And I thought of these words of Jesus and I said to myself, you know, it would seem that we would maybe best use our times as officers of this church if if we prayed together. So we did, and at one point I asked the officers just to take a half hour walk around the church building, the church property, outside the parking lot. They could go around the the block if they wanted and and just do a prayer walk. Ask God. Where are you at work, God? Show me what you want to show me, God. Listen for God. If so prompted, pray. Pray for the congregation. Pray for the neighborhood. Give thanks. What might God do if, if, if a space were locked off for a half hour prayer walk? It was such a gift to not have my phone with me and listen to God. Offered one of the first people right back into the room, unprompted. A few others said in their own word, I really had no idea how much I I needed space simply to pray and listen, to have that locked off. 
and still another. I looked at a particular tree right outside the church building, filled with all of its leaves. And God spoke to me a verse. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. She went on, we're here as a church for the healing of those around us. Which spurred a host of other comments among, from among the officers about how God is leading us right now and working among us. Because she was basically saying that amid all the things bouncing around in the church and in our lives and vying for our attention and vying for our hearts, she'd seen Jesus make himself known. She'd heard him speak. You're for the healing of the nations right now. When we pray, we enter the real world and see the substance of the kingdom. And our bodies and our souls, and I'll add our churches, begin to function for the first time as they were created to function. The soul comes alive when we catch a glimpse of the faithful God in our midst. What would it look like for us in the coming week to lock the door or part of our schedule or part of our commute or part of our morning or part of our evening or part of our committee? What would it look like to guard a space and open ourselves unto the prayer Jesus taught us as the most basic discipleship prayer? What might we see? What might we hear? And the good news is that Jesus teaches at the very beginning of his prayer our Father, which means he already includes himself in the praying of it alongside us as the book of Romans tells us Jesus is always interceding for us in other words the Lord's prayer is already underway because the Lord is currently praying it for us and alongside us and so the question is really not will or will not any praying happen in the church but will the visible church join in the prayer and amid all the competing and complex issues being tossed around our lives, will the praying church begin then to see Jesus himself calling, holding, healing, leading? Amen. In response to God's word, let us stand together singing more love to thee, O Christ. You are listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled, The Center, which was delivered by Rev. Dr. Robert Holm Lippert. The congregation will now join in singing, More Love to Thee, O Christ, which is number 359 in the Presbyterian hymnal.
our confession this morning, we read from the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, reminding us of the promise we share in our God who is faithful and near. I'll read the question and all of us together the answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. You may be seated. As we join in prayer together, I am going to let us practice hearing each petition of the Lord's Prayer and and leaving a little silence after each prayer that, that you can practice in your own heart, offering whatever prayers the Spirit gives you to pray. Maybe, maybe you hear a line and you're prompted to pray uh, for the church, for a relationship, for a person, for another part of the world, for this city. But just practice lingering over each line. And actually, the, the version of the Lord's Prayer I am going to read, just so maybe we have a new hearing of it, is, is one written by Dallas Willard, who I quoted in the sermon earlier. And he, he worked hard to not only study the Lord's Prayer, but then what would it sound like in a, something of a contemporary language uh, in, in as pure a fashion as, as one could do. And, and so I'm going to read that slowly with little bits of silence in there for you to pray silently as God leads. And then together we will close our time of prayer by uh, saying together the Lord's Prayer with Jesus faithfully. Uh, praying that in us and through us together. Let us now pray. Dear Father, always near us. May your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us, and may your will be done on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today. And forgive us our sins and impositions on you as as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. 
please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything that is bad. Because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever which is just the way we want it. And now together we join voices asking you Jesus to pray this prayer faithfully through us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I want to invite one of our elders forward, and Brian Baird, who's going to offer a moment for ministry. You'll see that there's a handout in the uh, bulletin today uh, detailing the solar power project at Grace Covenant. It provides some additional details on the project, and here are a few highlights of them. Last year, we collected a little over $17,000 towards this project. Uh, those were gifts over and above the, the regular tithes and did not influence the church's budget. From these funds, uh, we were able to purchase 22 solar panels, and this solar array went online last November. The system's working right now, and I should mention that it is a particularly lovely day to be making solar electricity. This week has been particularly good for that purpose. The graph in the handout, the blue graph, shows uh, electricity production on individual days from this summer, from May through July, during these three months, we made electricity worth a little over $400 while also preventing over 3,000 pounds of carbon dioxide from being put into the atmosphere. However, there is quite a bit of rooftop remaining. We still have space for almost 70, 70 more panels just on the education building. The session is allowing for gifts towards expansion to be collected. These would not these would need to be donated, denoted in some way as being uh, for solar. They would have to state solar in some way. And because this project is still outside the regular church budget, both the session and I are not asking for regular tithes to be directed towards this project, but rather gifts uh, for those who feel they would like to contribute to it. Please let me know if you have questions. Thanks for your attention. Brian for a little update and just testimony on, on 
how a number of you have stepped forward to faithfully uh, steward God's creation in this very practical way that has to do um, with this property God has entrusted to us. As you heard Brian say, if you want to continue participating in that and make a, a donation or offering above your normal tithes and offerings, you may do that. If, you, for instance, you were to write a check, you could just put solar in the memo line and um, make sure that it goes towards that as, as that continues. The offering plates are coming around, and, and certainly uh, you're invited to discern how God is uh, calling you to faithfully steward your resources in terms of your norm, normal giving toward the ministry and mission of the church, potentially towards the, the solar option you heard about. As well, I'll remind you, you have your communication cards in your bulletins, and just ask that you let us know you're here. Let us know if there are ways we can follow up with you on something, and certainly if we can come alongside you in a prayer of petition, a prayer of thanks, uh, you can put that down on this as well. Give now as you are led.
gracious God, you have awakened us to yourself, and for this we give thanks and ask that you take these, our tithes and offerings, as expressions of our gratitude for your abundant and steadfast faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Immediately after worship, you all are invited to the terrace for our social hour and refreshments. I know your bulletin says social room, but it is lovely out. And so I'm excited to head straight out that way and, and meet you all there in just a moment. Amidst all that is being tossed around and juggled and thrown in town, all the things we're counting and paying attention to, Jesus speaks a word this, then, is how you pray. Pray like this. Our Father who is near. May the Holy Spirit empower you to attend prayerfully to Jesus who is in our midst. 
calling and holding and healing and leading. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you this day and always. Amen.
for the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. You're also welcome to join us each Wednesday evening for our Wednesday night supper beginning at 6 p.m. Your announcer today has been John Harris and the engineer was Steve Kemp. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. We now return you to Christian Talk Radio on WLES, 590 on your AM dial and 97.7 on your FM dial.